I was down in Florida probably two or three years ago, and um, I was on a scouting mission actually to to see a young player, Alfonso Davis. Um, you know, we didn't get him at Man United, but that's another story. But um, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I saw the US play against England. I saw them play against, you know, I think it was Brazil, and you know, and they can compete. You know, at U sixteen, seventy eight, they they can compete. Um, and and again, you scratch your head, Jimmy, thinking, well, well, why can't why can't you know you in the US then take that onto the next level? And I think that's probably something for for people to get into a room and bosh out because you know, uh, and you have had good generations, you've had some golden generations, and you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't be you you shouldn't be in the top ten in the world. Welcome back to another mind-blowing episode of Minds Your Business. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside the irrepressible, irresistible, but never irrelevant Dr. Lee Hancock. And Lee, we are now seven episodes into this big podcast adventure of ours. Is it everything you dreamed it would be and more? It's everything and more. I mean, who thought we would get to episode seven? I heard that they were already calling for cancellations at episode six. (laughs) So I'm just excited. No, I'm excited as well. Um, and what I'm really excited about and what I think is beyond my wildest dreams and expectations is getting to our next guest, Tony Strudwick, who is currently the head of sports and science at Sheffield Wednesday, who currently are in the English Championship, for those that don't know. But before that, he worked with Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson and Louis Van Hall and with England in the 2014 World Cup. So he has an incredible wealth of experience. And actually, here's one of my favorite quotes from him about what he's trying to accomplish when he said, our job is to create newer athletes, the football athlete of the future who is robust, resilient, and can cope with increases in load. The whole idea of the physical component will be to increase the bandwidth capability of our athletes mentally, which I like, and physically exposing them to different stresses. So in short, I have so many things I want to explore with him and about his personal journey. Also, Lee, how did you guilt him to come on the show? Uh-huh. Uh, Yeah, I mean, first of all, his background is amazing, and um, he's very highly educated, uh, has a PhD uh, in uh, education and in life, I think, you know, which is one of those ones that some of us never get. Uh, And yeah, he and I have worked on a a project for for a little while uh, recently, and he was kind enough to to give us his time, and I know he's super busy. So yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked to talk to him. I'm a huge Manchester United fan as Hopefully, some of you understand from episodes past, and uh, I don't care what you have to say, Jimmy Conrad. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not hearing any of your other nonsense about Newcastle. Uh, so yeah, I'm super psyched. No, there's nothing for me to add about Newcastle. There's a zero to talk about with them. <laughs> there's no hope. There's more despair, and I don't really want to get into it so much. Anyway, before we talk shop with Tony, this is your gentle nudge to leave us a rating and review, which we hope are all extremely positive because despite portraying ourselves as these invincible hosts of the show that have all the answers, we have fragile egos too. All right, let's bring on our very special guest. So yes, Tony Strudwick is on the show. Thank you so much for your time, Tony. Cool, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Okay, so my first question is with regard to you growing up Mm. and at what point you made that transition from wanting to be a professional player to realizing that maybe coaching is the way for me to go because that had to be a big decision for you at such a young age. Yeah, I actually actually think it was a forced decision because I wasn't quite good enough. But um, (laughs) I think the realization, listen, I mean, when you grow up in you know, in, in the UK and you're a young, young, young 
boy, you either want to play cricket for England or you want to play football for England. So, you know, I grew up in a, you know, very much a, a sport dominated world. So all we really knew was football. And that was sort of like North London. And, you know, we played on the street every night. And I, I wasn't, I was born quite near the, the Tottenham Hotspur uh, football ground. So we, you know, everyone I went to school with were Spurs fans. And it was just a way of life. So, you know, I, I bounced around some of the, what, what, Back in them days, it was called the Centre of Excellence. This is pre-academy time in, in the UK. So, you know, and, and back then, you know, organised football as we knew it, school football was fantastic. You know, we would have, you know, three, four teams of every year group, you know, right the way through six, seven years at the school. So uh, it was a passion. My school, we had we, we, we supplied a, a number of players to, to, to Tottenham. But, you know, pretty much around, you know... I, I was released from. I was. I bounced around a couple of, you know, Watford, Watford, Watford Academy and Chelsea Academy, and um, pretty much at the age of sixteen, seventeen, when you signed professional in England, that was probably the the point where I had a decision. I, I could have, could have sort of signed a professional contract at Colchester, but I think Jimmy, it would have been a case of, you know, just focus on. And my parents were, were very keen for me to focus on the education. So probably at that moment in time. You know, sixteen, Alice, sixteen, seventeen. I probably recognised that I wasn't going to have you know longevity in a career, and and then of course my my journey took 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 the pathway of sports science and coaching, and you know I guess I never looked back. So so for me, the quick follow up would be, what was the pull then to sports science? What did you see maybe in your your brief playing career that that you thought I could enhance this area of the game? I could I could. I could really shine here and, and make a difference for the other players that maybe do have the talent to, to go on and play professionally. Yeah, I, th I think part of it was, was was just still an opportunity to stay in the game because, you know, there are so many kind of industries that pop off from, from professional sports. So for me, one of the big lure was, you know, I was still passionate about, about soccer. That, that was still the big pull. And I went to a university, it was very much at the time, and this was the early 90s, Jimmy, there wasn't really a lot of sports science support. So the, the kind of evolution of physical education and, and and kind of this 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 academic growth of what fitness the fitness industry was it just started to explode and I was really really lucky at, at the time I mean I mean bear in mind back then there were probably a couple of professional clubs Leeds Aston Villa back in them the, 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 the Premier League Premier League teams they had what you would call a, a designated fitness coach but there wasn't many guys that were full time employed. You know, now you you fast forward thirty years, and you know each club now in the Premier League has four or five staff, and you, you have the, had this massive sort of growth in of our industry in the last thirty years. A quick question about your education, because I would assume there are not. You've got your PhD, yeah, um, and I assume there are not many folks that have reached the pinnacle of education, and what I would say is the pinnacle of first team football, which is Manchester United. Um, did you would you say that people uh, I don't want to say looked down on that, but gave you more um, like first team footballers gave you more props, right, and paid attention to you more because you had a PhD, or did you feel like you had to even fight for respect differently because you had a PhD? I don't know if that question. Yeah, came I mean, that, right. yeah, no, that's a that's a good question, Lee. I think because I, I was one of the first first what you would say i mean when i first joined the premier league it was with coventry city so that was back in 97 and um so what the, my journey really was was to, to i did like a, a kind of internship it, it was doing my phd in an in, in industrial setting so it, to be fair it, 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 you know it, 
it killed two birds with one stone, Lee. And I think what what that did at the time, and there, there was a, this kind of movement within the Premier League. You just had Arsene Wenger that had come, you know, across from France. He'd, he'd, he'd taken this this Arsenal team, and he, at, the, at the time, he was seen as this kind of soccer technocrat. You know, he started mm-hmm. stretching. He started pre-match meals. He started to do things differently. He started to change the culture of of the, the, the traditional English game. And I think with that, alongside that, Lee, you know, I came in really, and I was doing a PhD, and I think. I think that gave it credibility and status with the players at the time because they saw that that, that was kind of recognised as, well, that this guy's coming in, he's got a bit of credibility behind him. Um, and I think that really, really helped in my kind of my early years because it, it, it gave us that, you know, that some level of status rather than, you know, whether it be someone coming in off, off the street and, and offering kind of tin pot ideas. I think it, it really helped me because it had that credibility status. Yeah, for sure. It's funny because I... When I I finished playing uh, really before I started, I think, at about 24. And um, I, I definitely felt as I was pursuing all my coaching licenses and stuff, I thought, well, how am I going to separate myself and how am I going to contribute, you know, um, to 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 the game at a different level than than having a pro career and then leaning back on that as a coach? And that definitely spurred me on to to get a PhD. Part of it was answering my own questions about myself. Yeah and my own failings as an athlete. But it was also, I knew in order to come into a locker room, I would have to have that extra piece. Right. And I'm guessing Jimmy, this is to you as, as a player. Do you like when you get folks in that are educated and when you got them in with the national team or you got them in with different pro teams, did you also feel like that lend credibility? Did you like having those guys around? What was your thoughts and feelings? Well, I would say that the more decorated, the, the person, the support staff, the better, you know, knowing that you got your PhD, knowing that you took it as far as you possibly could to learn as much as you possibly could definitely merits respect, uh, as opposed to somebody who maybe just has their B license, you know, or it it didn't go that extra mile. Most of us professional athletes had to sacrifice a lot to, to achieve what we did. And and I think we have that same type of respect for other people, uh, and other, walks of life or other areas that, that are looking at it the same way. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think that does help. And I think it does make a difference. And, and the more people that, you know, have the intentions in the locker room that, that want the best for you and are trying to do what's best for the team. I think all those types of people, if they obviously come in with the right attitude and the right approach uh, are always welcome for the most part, I'd be really surprised if any professionals turned down somebody who was trying to help them get better. True. So, so now, Tony, I want to turn this on to your time with Manchester United. And cool. I, think th- I think the big kind of maybe obvious question would be, well, tell us which players kind of had it between the ears and which ones didn't. And I want to get there. But first, I kind of want to know what it was like to go work with Sir Alex Ferguson. The guy's a legend, of course, but maybe his legend has- precedes him a bit. You know, I mean, obviously he's a human being at the end of the day and he's got his own yeah. idiosyncrasies and everything else that go along with it. Mm-hmm. But what was that like? Was it intimidating to kind of join that that backroom staff and, and to be a part of that process and to really see how it all works, given how much success he had as a, as a coach? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it, it was great fun. You know, I think whatever you say, looking from the outside in and, and you know whatever kind of leadership style that you expect from from being outside of Manchester United, I think one thing I can I can really really say is that, and we could come on to this about connected leadership and authentic leadership styles, but it was great fun. It was great fun, not not just because 
you know, at the time they had, they had a terrific set of players and and they were probably, you know, when we talk about sustained performance and we now call that the legacy years at Man United because it was, I mean, in, in my time with Sir Alex, you know, seven, eight years, I think we, you know, we went, we won four or five Premier Leagues and we went to the last day of the season and, you know, two of them, we lost one to Chelsea and one to Man City, famously. But, you know, it was year on year, it was sustained success. I think, I think what typifies Sir Alex and, and probably my time, of course, you know, going into what was Carrington back in 2007. I started August the, the 3rd, 2007. And the reason I know that is because we played Chelsea in, in, the, in the Charity Shield on, on, on the Sunday um, and beat him in a shootout, ironically. But, you know, my first day at work, and this typified Sir Alex, it was, you know, once you've got through that kind of interview process and, you know, he checked you out and you've got the job, you know, I arrived day one and, you know, he's the first one in like he always was in the morning. And I mean, all it really was, was, you know, that the, the players are downstairs, go and warm them up, get them ready for training. And that was it, Jimmy, that, that, that was, that was his kind of, that, that, that empowerment through trust. And I think that was, that was how the relationships and he formulated his relationships with his staff. So you can imagine me walking down and you know, all these guys, you know, skulls and gigs and all these guys you see on TV, I'm walking down and there's no introduction. It's you know, right, guys, let's go. And yeah, I was, I was, I was incredibly nervous. And, 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 and but you, you get through it. But I think what what gave you confidence all the time was was definitely the uh, the manager, Sir Alex's faith that he had in his staff and the support that he would give you. And you didn't want to let him down. And I think that that was great when you get this kind of relationship with with one of these great coaches. Is that that kind of that trust and empowerment that he gives you is a false multiplier, and you don't want to let him down. And I think that was I think that was one of David Beckham's famous quotes is that, that, that you know the hardest thing at Man United is making sure you work hard enough to let them, let them keep the keep there. Uh, <clears throat> it's funny because I love that your your line in there was it was four or five championships. You're not sure, and that <laughs> that warms my soul. That warms my soul. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. Um, it's funny because that man management to me, you know, as I think yeah. about you know. As I think about my time in again in school and putting time to that 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 sports psych side, you know I think and I've said this to Jimmy a million times, um, the the best sports psychs are um, coaches, right? And yeah. to put the power in your hands, you know, you're being a first team manager or or physio or or Sir Alex Ferguson, um, as he as he put his man management stuff on, I I mean I assume he was just always watching players and always asking backroom staff. I mean, tell tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think he famously says in in, in a couple of the, the pieces he did with, um, I think he did some stuff with Harvard, right? The Harvard Business School, and That's he, right, he talks yeah. about ob, ob, he talks about observation all the time, and and again, Lee, uh, so Alex wasn't what you call a sports scientist, or he wasn't what you would call a data driven coach, but his observation skills were incredible. And it would be snapshot, and it was that that, that kind of quick thinking and you know quick decision making, and you think about. You know, when you are a head coach, when you're a leader of an organization, a big organization, you're continuously making decisions. You know, people are asking you for decisions all the time and you've got to make, you know, informed decisions when you've got more time, but quick decisions. And the observation component is really, really big. So I think that was, that that was, in essence, that that was one of his strengths, you know, the, the, the observation side of it, because... You know what you've got to do is, is you, you've got to keep you've got to keep your team and keep looking at how your team's going to win, um, yeah. and and that that was his great strengths. And people will you know you 
Jimmy might ask me about the transition years from from Sir Alex to, to Moyes to Van Gaal to Mourinho and stuff. And, you know, w- we can go into that and delve into that. But essentially, when you, when you lost Sir Alex Ferguson, you, you lost one of the greats. You lost somebody that had an intimate knowledge of the Premier League. And if, if you want to call this the Sir Alex Ferguson effect, that was probably worth, you know, 15 points to Manchester United every year because he understood the league. He understood the games in the league. He knew what it, he knew what it took and he knew what winning looked like. So he knew all the time that, you know, if we were there or thereabouts, Man United, come what, January the 1st, he knew that we, we could have the charge to get through. He knew how to rotate players. He knew how to create a talent pipeline of young players that would come from that platform into the first team. And he could spin plates. And again, part of being a head coach, Lee, is, is that observation is that when you're, you know, and, and Sir Alex would always carry this, this, this squad of around 26 players. He would have, you know, six or seven of his what you would call his core players, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, whether that be your Ronaldo's, your, your, your Giggs, your Skulls, and, and so on, that would play 40, 50 games a year. He would have the kind of support staff beyond that and then the younger players. Now, to manage 26 players and to manage the staff and to manage the club, you've got to, you really have your observation skills and, and, and have got to be incredibly tight and very kind of, you know, informed. He's got to be sharp. Yeah. Um, and that's what we could do, Lee. That 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 was the kind of strength of his of his observational capabilities. Yeah. I have a couple of funny stories about Sir Alex, but I ran into a scout that was down in Africa, and Sir Alex told him, "I don't, I don't need any hard workers. I can go get those guys, you know, from the countries that wear kilts. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I can go find those guys there. I'm looking for the next Samueletto, the next Didier Drogba. And after four years, this the scout couldn't, you know, couldn't unearth that type of player or that, that player got picked up by another club and, and got swayed to go somewhere else. But I found that really interesting. And, and he was so complimentary of the scout who had gone to 25, 30 countries in Africa and, and never gave him any grief, was always really positive, wasn't putting any no. external pressure on him to, to go find this. And I just thought just that little thing that, hey, thank you so much for your time after four years. Uh, we, we just don't need you anymore. We've, we're kind of settled with where we are, but thank you so much for your time. Even though he never sent one player, I thought it was a really kind gesture by Sir Alex for, for somebody who is not even in his yeah. immediate staff, somebody kind of really on the peripheral. And I thought that spoke, spoke volumes about him in particular. Yeah. Now, I know I don't want to make this all about Sir Alex Ferguson because I really want to talk about uh, you, Tony, and maybe your input yeah. to him because – you're making observations as well. You're, you're looking at your analytics and seeing everything. And, and I think the big thing that maybe we discuss over here in the States a lot, and I'm sure you guys do too, is how do you develop players? Now, we take a big, deep dive into the physical, the technical, the tactical. But really, I think we could all agree that it's what's, what's between the ears that's really going to end up getting you there. Obviously, you got to be proficient in all those other areas. But but who, cope, who copes better with adversity, success, all that good stuff? And so I, I wanted to know if there were any like similar traits that you saw in the players that you were around, the Scholes, the Giggs, the Beckhams, the Ronaldos, that you could tell that they just were something different as opposed to maybe, and I love this guy, Quentin Fortune, but, but you know, he didn't really push on and get into that upper echelon of, of being a, you know, one of the supreme Manchester United players, even though he had the talent to potentially yeah. do so. No, no I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. And, and, you know, when it comes down to that mindset and, and Lee can sort of, sort of push on with some of the, some of that. But I mean, we, we always, 
sort of discussed at Manchester United and Sir Alex said that the four key areas really are one, the player has to, you know, to play for Man United, you have to be talented. That's a given. You have to be coachable. And again, we, we can come on to that. You have to have ambition and what, you know, what that looks like is drive. And then of, of course, he looked for personality and what he, looked, what he meant by personality. And this is why, you know, Sir Alex, Sir Alex also loved the Brazilian players because he felt that they showed they showed themselves on the ball and they showed that level of personality. And, you know, they're, they're very, very infectious, the Brazilian players, uh, as you well know. But we did an interesting... Um, when I dropped down, Jimmy, I, I dropped down into the academy in the last couple of years um, and we started to, to build some profiles about what the Man United player would look like or, you know, how to develop players. And we started to do some profiling and, and looking at things. And certainly going back and looking at, you know, the ones that, 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 that really got to the top, your gigs, your skulls, your Roonies. Um, you know, one of, one of the standout features with all of them was, 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 was drive. You know, that drive to get there, you know, you know that, that ambition and the drive. Uh, to to really go above and beyond, and, and and of course they were through the scale on that. Uh, and another thing that was interesting as well is that many of them were quite impatient, and this might kind of resonate with Lee a little bit in that when you have somebody who's incredibly driven and incredibly impatient, you know, a bit like Gary Neville. If you ever spend a bit of time with Gary Neville, he's exactly the same. Um, he can't sit still, and he's he's always on the move. But when you've got someone that's got a huge drive and and you know they're impatient to get there, what that means is that it pushes them and it pushes them to go above and beyond. And I think looking out, you know, we had a a kind of mix of personalities and stuff. But you know what everybody had within that 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 changing room, and the ones that stayed there, uh, and certainly the ones that kicked on, was that kind of this innate drive and ambition to want to be the best and. You know, no more so than the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, because you know, from from a very young early age, he just wanted to be the best, and I think that's probably, you know, that was the driving factor, and still is in his life. Would you say that sometimes, because I feel like, because personality to me is big, and I feel like, especially in the states, and I don't know how it is over there, I feel like sometimes that's misconstrued as oh, that kid's being an ass, right, or, or he's tough to manage. It's like, yeah, but those those kids that are tough to manage are tomorrow's CEOs, yep. right? And and how, like it, how is that looked at over there, at United and, and anywhere else in, in England? Because I feel like those little, for lack of better terminology, little motherfuckers mm. that are really hard to manage, you know, a- end up then sometimes being God, ah, he's too tough to manage. But I feel like if you spend that extra time, you know, those are your number nines, you know, or those are your sevens that are just going to go and beat somebody maybe one too many times when they're fifteen, but just the right amount when they're eighteen. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I think. You know what what you're talking about, Lee, is them, them ones that really go on, and, and you know, as you well know, in it, you know, in, in any walk of life, you'll always get different kinds of players that get to the top. There's no one kind of, there's no, you know, there's not one model or one kind of, you know, template for what a player looks like. But I think the ones that push the boundaries, the ones that, you know, really at the game changes, and you know, we, you're talking about, you know, your Michael Jordans, your Wayne Rooney's, you're talking about these guys that have got to the top, and your Ronaldo's. Yeah, they they are different, and and they've got that little bit of spark. And sometimes with that, there comes, you know, there comes a different different sides to their personalities. And with that, you know, that they demand more from you as a member of staff, and they challenge you, and they challenge the world, and they do that because they want to get to the top and they want to stay there and they want to push the boundaries of, of human performance. Yeah. I, I noticed the, if I wouldn't have cut you off, you would have said, and you're Jimmy Conrad's. <laughs> um, I knew that was next off your tongue. <laughs> um, but I, I stopped you. Um, 
I, I do want to ask you because I know it's about that hard work and that that individual hard work. Mm. You know what I mean? That, that guys are putting on outside of the field. Um, I, you know, I know you're working on a project, and I'm I'm a small part of it. Um, that that is um, looking at uh, allowing the opportunity and giving kids an opportunity to work hard on their own. You, can I, can you talk a little bit about that yeah, and, sure. and kind of where you are in that project? Yeah. So, I mean, as you well know, we, we're developing the, the concept of player toolbox and what, what player toolbox looks like is that, you know, what kind of tools do you need as a, an individual player within that box that you can pull out? So, uh, and a big part around, and, and I, I've seen this and I've seen this over the last kind of, you know, the last three months with, with, with COVID is that there's become an, an increased kind of, pressure on you know players to take self-responsibility and to be self-aware because now they've got to start to drive their own programs you know i think one of the kind of downsides of all this this professionalization of sport lee has, has been you know things are starting to, to be done more and more for players and one of the, the key some concepts behind player toolbox is you know give them a platform to to initiate their own kind of learning and to drive their own learning and i think the kind of yeah. the, the next generation of players They'll be more in tuned with, you know, capturing information. They'll be more in tuned with, you know, capturing content. And I think, you know, the next generation of athletes coming through the system will be ones that that really sort of take their game onto a next level by 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 being kind of driven and and and, and you know taking responsibility and being accountable for their own performance. And you know, the great thing about and again, I don't want to sort of labour the fact about the Man United years, but. One of the toughest parts of it, and this will resonate with you as well, Jim, is that one of the hardest things for me every day, and I work with a coach, Carlos Kirosh, a fantastic coach, really, really detailed. One of the best coaches I worked with was Carlos. And every day, you know, to try and get the players off the field at the end of training was conflict because they didn't want to come off the pitch. <laughs> and Carlos being, you know, this kind of, well, we have to manage the the, the physical and the technical and, and all together, and they're doing too much. And I don't want Ronaldo hitting 50 shots and Wayne Rooney hitting 33 kicks. And, you know, but one, one of the things that, that, that really that typified for me is that we, we had to drag them off the training ground, you know, and, and we, we it, so much so that we got to a period where there was always, a, you know, 15 minutes at the end of every training session, uh, even the day before a game, where they had this kind of, you know, 15-minute period where they could go and work on their own individual bits. And it was brilliant. You know, we had staff out there. We had Renny Mullenstein, who's a fantastic, you know, technical skills coach. He was working with one-on-ones. You'd have, you know, deliberate practice going on in, in the corner. Ronaldo would have his own bag of balls. And, you know, some, you know, Ferdinand and, and Vidic will be doing headers. And, and I'm thinking, wow, this, this for me, that's, that's what self-management and that's what player responsibility is all around. And again, it's the same with, you know, driving your own performance and taking responsibility for your own performance. I think that's really, really critical. And, you know, I'm sure Jimmy would have a, a, a I'm sure you'd have that kind of, you know, a, you know, on I, I, well, I'll just jump in and say that, that when I speak to young players now, cause I'm sure you guys are getting a lot of opportunities to talk to clubs and, and, this is an amazing time for players. And then I'm sure they're showing themselves the ones that do have the drive and which ones don't, because this is a really big challenge. This is, as you say, uh, they now have to take the responsibility to get out there and work on their own games. Some people just do it. They love it and it speaks to them and that's, they have that drive and ambition and some don't. And I think you're going to start to see a gulf. And I think it's going to be pretty eye opening for coaches 
when when players are not forced to go out to practice because their parents are paying for it or or because they feel like there's the responsibility yeah. or whatever it is but there, there's an external pressure that they're feeling to be there as opposed to something that's coming from inside and and i think that's a good thing ultimately i think this pandemic has a lot of yep. upsides um you know as i try to look for the silver linings and i think that's going to be one of them in terms of how coaches evaluate certain players and and, and it allows other players that maybe were on the fringe to get into a more of a first team spot because they took things very seriously and tried to take advantage of it. Now, now Tony, you're doing stuff with, with Sheffield Wednesday now and all of your experiences. I'm kind of curious when you can identify a young player and, and what kind of traits maybe that you're looking at, you know, in, in the youth Academy that you're thinking, not only can this kid be a first teamer, but he could play for England's national team. Like he has that ability. And obviously you don't want to get ahead of yourself. We, we have a tremendous, reputation over here in the States for overhyping our youngest players mm. and then putting an incredible amount of pressure on them. And then they never live up to those expectations. And it's just this, it's this hamster wheel that we just can't yeah. step out of. But, but since you've been around it uh, and, and you've seen it in a lot of different ways, are there a couple things outside of maybe what you said were the four things yeah. that Sir Alex are looking for that you try to identify and, and then try to bring along and nurture? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I mean, because I'm, I'm coming a little bit from, from a kind of the physical, physical angle, Jimmy. I would always look for the, the, the young players, and I would look kind of if they have this kind of this fluid movement capability, and they look smooth, and and they're very, very efficient movers. So that would be one of the first things I look at, and you can tell, you know, a, 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 a relatively young age, the, the fluid movers, and you, you understand that. There's a lot of growth and maturation and there's a lot to get through before the player comes out at 17, 18. Um, and then obviously the, the second thing is you're looking for personality on the ball. And I mean, Man, Man, Man United in particular, their academy was, was all around this kind of 4v4 practice and the ability to handle the ball, ball manipulation to take the ball and and be creative with that in, in them, them scenarios. So you'll look for the ones that can receive and, and, and can play and, and that'll be the kind of technical piece. Um, I mean, one thing I would say, Jimmy, and the great thing about Man United was 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 that they were very, very patient, and they were very, very patient with kids because they understood that you know success wasn't necessarily a linear. That this kind of you know it, it's not a linear pathway. It's not a case of just starting and, and, and going right to the top and being very, very successful. That's not the case whatsoever. Um, so I think being patient and, and no more so than. I mean, Scott McTonomy at 16, 17, he spent two years pretty much injured. He was going through, you know, major growth. If you'd have seen him, you know, he, he was one of the smaller kids at, at 15, 16, and he spent two years pretty much injured because he was he had so many growth-related issues. And then you see him come out the other side and he looks like, you know, he's an absolute mountain now. <laughs> um, but going back to that, Man United were incredibly patient with Scott McTonomy. But what Man United knew is that they knew that he had the right personality and character to play for Man United. Um, and, you know, even at 11, 12, 13, even when the other kids were getting bigger, he, he stayed with it. And you look at him now and he looks he looks the real deal. And, I mean, there are ones that, I mean, Nicky Butt says all the time about Ryan Giggs. He said that Ryan was one of the only players that was probably the, the best player at, at 10 and 11 and still the best player at, you know, 35. But they're, they're very few and far between. So you do get them kind of, them early maturers, the early performers. Um, and, of course, you speak to Sir Alex and, and he would say that, you know, Ryan was so gracious. He, he moved so grace, gracefully that, you know, and, and that was him at 9, 10, 11, and he still had that at 35. So um, there are exceptions to the rule. But I think it's being patient and 
and understanding that you know you've got to give players and you've got to give talent time to you know you've got to nurture it and i think that that the best academies and, and the ones that have the you know the at the moment, now you're looking in England and, you know, Liverpool are doing a great job, Chelsea are doing a great job, and Man City are doing a great job. And I think it's having the patience to nurture that talent. I, I could talk to you all day, Tony, um, because you have so much insight. And, and I feel like, and I'm always thinking from an American perspective, because with the amount of kids that we have playing in this country, I just feel like we should be better than we are. Mm. And maybe it's taken our infrastructure a little time to get on the same page, which we're not still. Uh, and for MLS to mature, because now every MLS team does have a youth academy and can start to really put their stamp on things and, and the culture and philosophy that they want to set, uh, which obviously takes time and patience, as you mentioned. But even that being said, we have so many kids playing mm. that it feels like we're doing something wrong. We, we haven't found that. And I'm sure everybody else around the world is like, that's fine. We don't want the U.S. <laughs> to be good at this game. This is our game. You guys have your other sports, yeah. you know. Just continue to to be bang average, uh, at least on the men's on the men's side. Our women's mm. side got it all figured out. But but you know, uh, I don't I didn't know if you when you look over, kind of on the outside looking in at at the football here in America, you know what is it that you're seeing that you think we're lacking? Yeah. Or or I, I mean, I almost want you to consult. If you got two <laughs> minutes to consult yeah. on what we should do, I'd love that. Yeah, listen, I'm sure. I, I come to the coaches' conference every year, and everybody's always got the you know the next next solution. I mean, what I would say, and and, and Lee and I have got a mutual friend in in Phoenix, and I mean there was a big big tournament last year. I think it was a U14 tournament down in uh, in Florida, and some some English academy teams come over. And I said some, and there was a kind of few states uh, uh, that, that played in the tournament. And I think at 14, 15, looking at the kind of the English players and the US players. And, and I've worked across – I mean, I, I've spent time in America, uh, Jimmy. I live, lived in here for two years, so I coached in the States. Um, there's not a big difference, you know. There's not a big difference technically, physically, mentally, tactically. I don't see a huge difference at 14, 15. I think somewhere, somewhere between college and turning pro and, and having this kind of – you know what? What's the next in terms of you know developing players? What's next after college, or what's next after seventeen, eighteen? And again, I've seen you know US US boys um, come across to, to English academies and thrive and do really really well. So you know you have you have the numbers, you have the infrastructure, um, you have all the support networks in place. But I just think that there's something, and we're starting to see a little bit of that now with. We've in England, Jimmy, in in the Premier League too, which is, you know, it, it's an under twenty three league, but it's not quite competitive enough. I don't think it, it challenges the players, you know, for first team football like like it did fifteen years ago when we had the old classic English reserve leagues. And I think what was great about us, you know, and and you look in Europe, is you look at the the number of people playing it, the passion for that. I think you've got that in the states. Um, I think it's definitely somewhere between that 17 and 18. There's, there, there's some kind of disconnect in, the, in whether that's, you know, the challenge is there enough to take them players onto another level. And whether that's a, whether that's a kind of a structural, whether it's a cultural thing, I'm not quite sure, Jimmy. No, I appreciate that insight. I, I think it's important to hear voices like yours that are so well-respected saying that we have the players. Oh, yeah. And now it's just a matter of, you know, figuring out how to get the most of them and putting them in situations where they can continue to and grow. Again, so I appreciate that. Again, yeah. And again, I was down in Florida probably two or three years ago and um, I was on a scouting mission actually to, to see a young player, Alfonso Davis. Um, 
you know, we didn't get him at Man United, but that's another story. But um, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I saw the US play against England. I saw them play against, you know, I think it was Brazil. And, you know, and they can compete. You know, at U16, 78, they, they can compete. Um, and, and again, you scratch your head, Jimmy, thinking, well, 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 why can't, why can't, you know, you in the US then take that onto the next level? And I think that's probably something for, for people to get into a room and bosh out because, you know, uh, and you have had good generations. You've had some golden generations and, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't be, you, you shouldn't be in the top 10 in the world. Thank you for saying that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I appreciate yes. that. Yes. That's all, that's all I wanted to add. Yeah. Well, well. Tony, one last question before we let you go. It's with regard to kind of your role within a club yep. and how it's not really tied into, let's say, the week-to-week performances because obviously you're trying to implement a philosophy that is bigger than the results. And that being said, you're also hired by the coaching staff in the club. And if that you guys aren't doing well, right now Sheffield Wednesday is in the middle of the table mm-hmm. of the championship, how does that impact maybe – your urgency in some ways? Are you always trying to look at it in a very patient angle? Because I, I, I find it interesting because it feels like the sport is so results-driven, yeah. but you're trying to implement something that's more longer-term. Yeah, and that's a great question. And, and you see now, um, you know, in, in an ideal world, Jimmy, what would happen is that you, your performance staff uh, within a club would be there long term, and you create stability. And you know, Manchester United demonstrated what what stability and patience with staff, and growing staff, and growing young people through an organisation of, of what how, what you can succeed. You know, I think the challenge, certainly post Sir Alex Ferguson, was a kind of quick turnover of, of of coaching staffs. And what you then saw, Jimmy, was that. You know, seven. You know, one coach would bring seven members of staff in. The next would bring eight members of staff in. One of them would be a fitness coach, and so on and so forth. Then the next coach would bring in seven or eight staff. And then the big challenge now for the staff that have been there for a long time, the support staff, is that you know you're constantly changing your philosophy. So you know, the, the kind of walking, you know, as a member of the performance staff, for me, you know, once once the organisation recruits the good people, so that's that a head of medicine, sports science you know, trainers, physiotherapists, once you're, you're set with that, that should be really a long-term development plan to support the health and well-being of your players and to tr- try to maximise performance over a long, long period of time. The challenge that you've got, like you said, Jimmy, is that, you know, new coaches come in and it's so result-driven. So there's this kind of pressure really to, you know, would it be to change your philosophy if things don't go well? Well, no, if, if that's a solid performance philosophy, you should stick with it. You know, and and the, those at the, the executive level of of, of the organisation, a general manager, just say, no, we're going to stick with this. You know, and really, all, all all that happens is the technical technical team comes in, and in an ideal world, that would happen. But of course, somewhere along the lines, Jimmy, that gets lost, and no more so with. Uh, I mean, the Premier League's great at the moment because you've got such diversity, and you know, Jurgen Klopp is a German coach. You've got Spanish coaches, you've got Portuguese coaches, you've got so many great ideas that are floating around the Premier League. And I think long-term performance staff, you know, UK-based or English-based performance staff are going to be better for it because they've been exposed to so many good quality ideas. And I think what we'll then do is a formulation of new ideas. But you know, I would still like to see. Um, you know, an organization saying, well, this is set, you know, we're going to, we, we, we've, we've mapped out our philosophy and it's long-term. Uh, and that's what we did at Man United. We built what we called a performance laboratory and it was, you know, it was data and analytics and it was a 10 year project really to maximize performance. Um, and the great thing about that is you had, you had to stable coach, but 
that's always a challenge, whether it, whether it be a Man United, whether it be a Sheffield Wednesday now, is that you're trying to build something long-term and, you know, that there's such a, a pressure to perform from from the coaching staff and and of course that that can obviously obviously challenge you know what you're trying to achieve long term. Tony, I really appreciate your time and I want to apologize to Lee because I 100% monopolize this interview. So I just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> I get to talk to Tony got- whenever I want to. Uh, <laughs> okay, fine. All right, you guys have your exchange phone numbers. That's that's <laughs> that's all good. Well, Tony, thank you again uh, for sharing some insight with us. Uh, super valuable and hopefully. Uh, the listeners get out of it what I'm getting out of it, which is uh, some eye-opening statements. And of course, the stories about Sir Alex are, are amazing. So good luck with Sheffield Wednesday, and we'll we'll talk to you in the future. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Monty.